This morning's reading is from the Connected Discourses, Book 47, Sutta. This whole book is dedicated to Satipatthana. And uh, if you review the texts and the various texts on Satipatthana, this seems to be the, the kind of the root text out of which the other Satipatthana Suttas were later formulated. So you can imagine this is all the collection of the Buddha's sayings. On his particular theme, then in his connected group, and then out of this, various groups of monks created these other ones, which are more compendium in their middle length sayings and the long sayings. They're the more polished versions where they've kind of, you know, sort of cropped it and adjusted it into something more complete in some ways, but also more um, uh, edited. And um, I mean, the material's all there. It's just that you see in the connected discourse, it's much more of a kind of ragtag uh, collage. Um, but certain things are, uh, you can see they've added um, to the, the, the long discourses, they've added a section to the sections on Dhammas. And same thing in the middle length, they've added a whole section on Dhammas which weren't, wasn't there. Uh, all good teachings, they just, you know, and they've added the added, added Panasati, which isn't there, in the uh, connected. Um, so it seems they just, oh, well, it's all to do with the same thing. They try to make it more uh, full. But it does, enter, it does get um, some conundrums arise. Because Sanapanasati doesn't, by itself, doesn't have an internal, external reference to it when you look in the Anapanasati Sutta. But they've adopted that phrase and seem to have tacked it on uh, to everything. <coughs> anyway. <coughs> so this, this one... So it's good to keep referring to these texts um, and uh, getting what's consistent. And this one's a simile of the cook. There's plenty of really nice similes in the connected um, discourses. <coughs> and um, the Buddha gives the analogy of uh, um, two kinds of cooks, an incompetent, unskillful cook and a skillful cook, and they both want to present the king uh, with a meal. And the unskillful cook doesn't notice what his master, the king, likes. He doesn't notice today that this curry pleased my master, or he reached for this one, or he took a lot of this one, or he was pleased with that, or he didn't, you know, he didn't like this. So he didn't really notice which particular foods the king enjoyed. So because of that he serves the same meal the next day and uh, after a while the king doesn't give him gain, maybe even dismisses him because he doesn't serve food according to the king's preferences. Then the skillful cook presents some food and he stands back and watches what the king picks up, what he likes, what he puts to one side, takes note of that. Okay, Tomorrow I'll put more of that on, less of that. You notice the king 
and he begins to sense what the king is really favouring. So then he produces meals that the king really enjoys, so therefore he gets promoted. So that's the analogy. And this is likened to um, two kinds of meditators, two bhikkhus. So they both dwell at contemplating the body in the body, ardent, clear, comprehending, mindful, having removed covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world. The mind does not become concentrated. The corruptions are not abandoned, does not pick up that sign as well as contemplating feelings and feelings and so forth so he doesn't pick up some particular sign the mind isn't settling it's not happy it's not bright it's not even he doesn't get it so he's still plugging away at the same meditation theme he's using same practice, same attitude, same modality and the mind doesn't get it even though he's practicing mindfulness and comprehension. Because he doesn't actually listen, regard, get it, what's happening. Then mm. the skillful one does. He notices, picks up what's useful and dwells upon it. And therefore the mind does become established, steadied, gladdened, brightened, and releases its obsessions and corruptions. So that's the gist of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. This word sign, in, in again to kind of go a little bit into the theory of it, nimita, and uh, this is a word you may come across, and again, it has, it <laughs> has a range of possible possibilities of what it refers to but you might find it being referred to as a kind of very specific paranormal signs in the mind like little lights or something like that that can go on you know, and you're trying to get these and that's the problem because the Buddhist tradition tends to have made more refined and technical what was, some, what was actually in the time of the Buddha fairly obvious because nimitta can mean anything that sticks out. It could be like a, a sema stone or a boundary marker. It could be a rock. It could be a nimitta. It's not subtle necessarily. Um, so it means anything. You go, uh-huh, that's that. Uh-huh. Light goes on. Oh, got it. It's something sticking out. Uh, greed is a nimitta. <laughs> Hatred is a nimitta. Delusion is a nimitta. You know, these are not subtle. Uh, but so the uh, you can see all the defilements and nimitas they stick out uh, what they should do if you take note of them uh, the flaring up the tension, the gripping uh, the feverishness the sinking, the spinning these are nimitas signs of what's going on uh, you know giddy, spun out, flaring up tense, contracted Sinking, these are nimittas. The ones you can recognize. So if this is happening, you've got to shift your meditation topic to something your mind will pick up. 
Yeah. So not to meditation is not obsession, and it's not automatic, and it's not a set system. It's not a set technique. You you kind of have to see what your mind will work, will pick up, and adjust it. Mm. And you got to, you know. So there's room to change, and that's why we talk about mindfulness of the body. You can say, well, uh, you know, you can contemplate just the sense of having a body, the weight of it, the steadiness of it, the fact if you've got a frame, the whole body, you know, just sitting, walking, how a body walks, and just keep coming back to that. Your mind, and that maybe that's adequate if your mind is spinning out into fantasies or obsessions or self-views, just there's a body plonking along while you're making a problem out of this. Just plonk along, <laughs> up and down, you know, sit down, you know, just don't get obsessive. <laughs> just sit there. <laughs> I want to get obsessive. <laughs> I'm going to meditate. <laughs> I'm going to get concentrated. I can't do it right. Look, didn't you, didn't you notice that sign? <laughs> that sign of, oh, I've got to go, I've got to make it happen. That's a sign. <laughs> That's a sign you're about to suffer. You are suffering, big time. So drop that one. And refer to something where you get a simple, steadying, safe, manageable, accessible reference. So you can, uh-huh. And just linger and deepen into that. It doesn't have to be that complex or that intense. Pick up the sign. The one that causes the mind to stop. Obsessing. Stop getting frantic. Stop daydreaming. Stop wandering off. And it's not a matter of getting forceful and dogmatic and obsessive about it. It's just, what will your mind pick up? You know, you've got to relate to the mind as the king. So it's certain care, respect. Even if the king's having a tantrum, saying, okay, what's it feel like in your in your back? What's it feel like when you walk up and down? How's the space around you? Nobody's bothering you, just walk up and down, let steam off. Mm. So what causes the mind to let go? And do you know that sign? Do you know that sign of not, oh, who cares, not dismissive, fed up, let go, like, well, oh, give up, but actually, ah, you can step into an open space, and that's beautiful. Mm. 
not obsessed, not saturated with some experience, but the release. That's a sign too. It's not a sign that we are, are, are educated or trained to notice. It seems that, you know, generally life is about getting more and more full of stuff. More full of stuff. Stuff to deal with, more complex. Stuff you don't need, but you've got to have in order to, you know, make something work. You know, we used to have these things, pens and paper, we'd write letters to each other, write notes on a little piece of paper, it's a white, very lightweight, so up the pen, one hand, pen, paper, write. Once you're about the age of six, you can do it. Now, you've got to have up-to-date, super-compatible word processing with absolutely everything wonderful, so you can send an email to somebody but of course the technology goes skewy, so you have to pay a subscription fee to make sure you've got the right set of equipment and the administrator to make sure that all the Microsoft's working and Google's happy and Apple's comfortable and you pay so you can send a message to somebody when you could have actually just written them a note on a piece of paper and said, here. <laughs> but it's so much more to life than that, <laughs> than just the simplicity of that, you know. So we kind of we go into this sense of progress. Progress is more, quicker, more. Maybe it's not. Maybe liberation's anti-progress, just not more, but less. Yeah. And the simplicity of a body. Forest tradition, forest sangha. You know. Mm feet on the ground for his path mm. these are supports what do you need for liberation what's the sign cool open And you can feel it, and then when that quality arises, you can feel it in your body. You're settled. Body feels light, open. And the Buddha reminds us, he says, you touch the deathless in your body. You can rely upon it because the body can't, it can get angry, it can get upset, it can get depressed, but it can't tell lies. It tells you exactly what's happening. Whereas your mind can say, well, but I believe it should be this way, and it could be that way, and I heard this, and so-and-so says that, and after all, it should be like this, and right, and I'm... doesn't pick up. You're suffering. (laughs) You're obsessing. You're getting wrangled. Well... Because it's right and it should be and it can't be and I don't, I don't see why I have to. But you're suffering. <laughs> right, you know, 
pick up the sign. Now, <laughs> internal, external. So, external, we can say feeling is the big one, isn't it? Feeling, what is feeling? What is pleasant or unpleasant feeling? What do you mean? Well, what is it? What happens when something is felt? Do you notice? Say from neutral, nothing much, to pleasant. What happens? Something warms, doesn't it? There's a rising of energy. Oh. What happens? It's unpleasant. Similar thing. Energy rises. So an energetic shift. Right? That's called contact. That suddenly has become manifest. There's a sign. Feeling has arisen. Contact. And that contact impression is the beginning of something called sankara. Suddenly things start moving. Sankara is movement, activation. Something's been switched on, and things start moving. Pleasant movement, have more. Unpleasant, get away. Movement starts happening. And you can feel that running through the body. Oh, please. Coming out of the cold, nice, dry, dumber hall. Ah, a little bit of, ah. Go outside, rain and wind. (laughs) Body kind of curls up. (laughs) You contemplate goes into the body. That's fairly innocuous. When it goes into the mind, the mind picks up feeling, the sankara, chitta sankara goes, oh, I want more of that, I want less of that. It should be like this, it shouldn't be like that. It rushes in, it goes like that. You get volition. Rushes. And so that, that happens, that rush. Okay, fair enough. I don't like unpleasant feeling either. It rushes off, unpleasant feeling, okay. So then, widening around that. So, unpleasant feeling happens every day, I tell you, without complaining, not complaining, every day, as far as I can make out, has plenty of unpleasant feeling in it. Not a problem, not a complaint, just telling you the truth. It's not just physical. <laughs> Something quite like that. She was the other way. Oh well. You know. And, you know, the mind uh, learns to establish recognition points. So this is what's right or appropriate or suitable or comfortable or normal. Beware of the one called normal. This is deadly. Because if your mind establishes, oh, this is normal, then why is she doing it that way? This is normal. Why isn't he normal? What's wrong with she's not doing it? What's wrong with her? It's not normal. This is normal. I'm normal. <laughs> so, <laughs> beware of normal, because you're pretty certain... Sooner or later, 
you're going to be suffering. <laughs> and it will come up as, but why? Why didn't they? Because they were being normal too. <laughs> and really hear this voice, but why? It's not seeking a rational explanation, it's an emotional surge of pain, dukkha. Get the sign. And that's that. Listen to the sign. And how did you get there? How did you get? Because you established something permanent called normal. Something self, this is my normal, where I feel comfortable. Something agreeable. And it's actually rocky, not permanent, not satisfactory. Don't build your home on it. Don't establish this is the way it should be. You're going to suffer. That's my recommendation. So, so you notice that in the sign, Anicca Dukkanatta. Okay. Then just sense of withdrawing energy from those perceptions. That's just that's that. I can witness that perception of that. The mind feverishly holding it and then softening and returning to the body. The body relaxes. The mind establishes perception, sanya, in order to orient, to navigate through the day. So we so in other words Tomorrow, we'll know what to do because this is the setup, and every every system, every place works like that. We drive on the right side of the road, on the left side of the road. That's the way it works. Come into the Dhamma hall. Monks sit here, the nuns sit there, lay people sit there. It's normal. Now established so we know what to do. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. That's that. Don't hold on to it too hard. Mm. Even things like this. So certainly over 47 years, monasticism, seeing the norms changing, um, all kinds of pieces of protocol, procedure, routines, not big issues, just so that was normal, that was true, that was right, that was established. Anybody who didn't do it was going to seem a bit strange. And then five years later, oh, we're doing this now. That's the new norm. Okay. okay. You know, you recognize that it's impermanent. Mm. Changeable. The mind picks up, establishes perceptions of what's right, polite, friendly. What's friendly, polite, welcoming. Changes. Some places, you know, they're very kind of very expressive, hugging, smiling. Yeah, hey, great to see you. Other places, just a angrily kind of. Hey, well, that's the way they do it here. 
different different qualities and you see actually what happens. Certainly when I first went to a monastery in in Thailand, it was very cool. But turn up, here's a kuti you can stay in. Quiet. No big deal. Here's food. Here's teaching. Stay as long as you like. That's pretty generous. That's pretty friendly. Never asked anything back. That's a huge, generous, loving gesture. But they weren't jumping up and down, waving flags. So you get the sign, you know, notice the real thing. And in Dhamma practice, the real thing is something that you pause, you put your perceptions, your immediate perception, your customary perceptions on hold and just kind of adjust to feeling where you can space, comfortable, steady in your body. Not necessarily in accordance with one's conditioned perceptions of, you know, behaviours and manners and protocols and procedures and efficiency and so and so. Just, just put that one to one side. What allows the sign of release to occur? What allows you to get established comfortably in your body? Where this very rare touch of release can occur. Not progressive, not, wow, the next thing, not, oh, and then, but no and then, end of and then, end of time, end of story, not the next chapter when I get even better and more successful and happy. No, end of story. Oh. And when you get that sign, the mind opens, widens, softens. Oh, this is what the Buddha was offering us. Rarely seen, rarely understood, rarely known in the world caught on fire with passion, beliefs, opinions, views, sense objects, all promising, all saturated with intense feeling, but triggering powerful sankharas, powerful activations, getting excited, getting outraged, getting righteous, getting depressed, Feeling alienated, all these powerful sankharas going nowhere useful. All the energy burnt up into suffering and generating for oneself and others. If you didn't pick up the sign. Mind believed in its opinions and views, perceptions and mannerisms habits and customs. These were going to make things comfortable for me. And they didn't. 
So a wise person steps back. What's going on here? Whether the feeling comes from something happening around you, external, situations in the world, internal, memories, energies in your body, health, attitudes about yourself, feeling, unpleasant feeling, disagreeable feeling, and then getting knotted up in it not knowing the release from the grip. Where feeling activates. Now it's not that feeling's always going to be pleasant. Disagreeable feeling. That's, there's a massive teaching right there. This in a way is almost like what Lumpur Charles' main, what his main teaching was, just be with unpleasant feeling. Yeah. Well, that's not a very nice thing, not a very friendly thing to say. <laughs> I thought it's supposed to be compassionate, not very friendly, be with unpleasant feeling. Well, this is this is surgery. <laughs> because if to be with unpleasant feeling and it tells you stop getting caught in it. This is bitter medicine. But we're not here to create or torture each other or create unpleasant feelings, we're just that memo. Because it's going to happen. It can happen somewhere. You know, it's going to happen over the weather or the chores or somebody's sniffling or, you know, things not being quiet enough or something or the other. It's going to come up disagreeable. I get the same. Yeah. So what do you do? Widen, widen your awareness, soften your attitudes, release, body. Okay, I can breathe. Yeah, I can breathe. I can be here. And just that release of from the world. Mm. You see the sign. Be careful. Signs of right and wrong. You can almost hear when you see those words, you can almost hear the pain <laughs> in them. It's right. This means <laughs> they're going to force everybody to be like this because it's right. <laughs> this is wrong. It's going to force more force. Right, wrong. You know, box, prison, <laughs> vindication, triumph, law court, tribunal, argument, fight. Right, wrong. You know, and with all the blazing conviction of it. It's wrong. It's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna pick up the sign. So generally we say it's more this is more appropriate, this is more useful, this is more skillful. 
You're not making absolute abstracts. This is where it becomes the problems. We're very good at abstracts, ideas of right and wrong, without feeling the reality of what happens. Some things are just more harmonious. That's right. That's a different kind of right. It's a softer, more fulfilling quality. Things are just sometimes, just some things are really, you know, unnecessary, unsuitable. That's a different kind of wrong. You feel it. And you feel the energy of it. That which leads to comfort and ease. Rather than gripping onto a position or another. It happens all the time. Pick up the sign. Meditation practice is non-obsessive. Non-intense. Takes effort though. It takes intelligence to stay on the ball, wakeful, and then being prepared to challenge one's attachment, one's grip. Be patient with it. Till it will release. Because this is not a person, it's a sankara, it's an activation, it's an activity of energy, rushes and then clamps. It's a mechanism. It's not your fault, it's not you're a bad person, it's just that there's an unawakened mechanism happening with energy rushes because of a feeling and clamps. And clamping Upadana. And uh, you can contemplate it, what it feels like, and the energies that spin around it when you get uh, clamped onto something. Which people do, because it provides a kind of a sense of this is mine, this is where I'm at, I've got this, this is, solidifies me solidifies me. So it becomes mine. And it gives me a bit more the me sense because all that perception, the compulsive rush of of Sankara around a perception gives a certain solidity to the five, to these aggregates and becomes, I feel solid. And we get this thing in monasteries, you get obsessions. Like I had a fellow here a few years ago who was a lawnmower obsessive. This was quite a few years ago, I'm not talking about anybody you know. So he had to mow lawns. Nobody else was allowed to mow lawns because he was the one who knew lawn mowing. He knew exactly the right height for the lawnmower. He went out and bought special equipment to mow the lawns with things that perforate the soil so the worms would get a little bit of air and ventilate it. And his life, his day in the monastery was spent dealing with the lawnmower. It was like like having his favourite horse, he'd groom it. 
talk to it because he couldn't talk to people. <laughs> so he and the lawnmower had this passionate relationship. And you know, so and the whole monastery was seen in terms of lawns. And other people didn't quite get it was a source of frustration. Because people, other people just thought earth, grass, you know, that's it. And didn't they weren't normal. <laughs> so he lasted a while and then left because he couldn't handle the rage and the frustration of it being with so many stupid, ignorant people who didn't understand lawns and expected him to do cooking instead of lawn mowing. So he left, ended up in a psychiatric unit. Not because of lawn mowing, because of obsessive, what was behind it, you know, why there was obsessions. Because you want something to hold on to, and without that, you know, you know, I've got to be with people. But all that confusing, different opinions and energies, I just can't manage it. I don't know, but not a bad person at all. Not evil. Good person. Just lock, and that's the sad truth of it. You know, we've had gruel obsessives. You know, gruel has to be done a certain way, a certain thickness. Gruel obsessive. People who could not manage gruel except it was done this way. You know, had, uh, wood stove obsessive. Used to have a cooker which was a wood burning stove. So one person spent the entire winter retreat in the kitchen monitoring this wood burning nobody else was allowed to feed the stove come near and adjust it only him the entire winter retreat was spent in the kitchen monitoring this wood burning stove as his baby nobody can get near it because of that that was three months of meditation practice out the window <laughs> for a wood burning stove and nobody else cared really you know, what the gruel was like wasn't that big a deal. Whether the temperature was this, it wasn't that much of a problem. But lock. And again, somebody could not manage a world which seemed chaotic and challenging. So lock into a local place to get fixated on. And you begin to understand, you know, problems of human minds. The insecurity, the need to hold. People who can't do without stimulation, can't live an hour without a phone. Because the system starts to malfunction internally. Wow. So, so well, actually, can you feel your body? Mm. Shoulders. Belly. Legs, feet, walk up and down, take a breath. Take another one, moment at a time. Just finding a place so that that blind grip of upadana turns into the soft grip of mindfulness, which is flexible, which is sensing, which is intelligent, which is, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's a soft grip. Holding something 
not for security, but with a sense of interest. How is this? I want to learn something. It's receptive. And drinking in something that's rather nourishing. Nice, warm, steady, comfortable energy. Much better than an opinion. (laughs) It's a slow warmth. You're on the flash fire. Yeah. You can contemplate it like that. Yeah, the, so we, again, when we do body meditation, you can contemplate the elements. Because they're signs. They're signs. Sign of firmness. Solidity, that which resists pressure. Doesn't fall over. Earth. That's either bones, obviously, physical earth around you, external sign of the earth, stone, wood, mm-hmm. internal bones, feel it. Something solid here. Yeah. Shoulders. Okay. Obvious. Uh, fire element, warmth, or the absence of it. <laughs> You know, gradations of caloricity. And it includes light and radiance. So everything has got this glowing quality to it. Warmth of the body. How do you know you have a body? It's that warmth that you don't have to do anything about. It's a warmth, inner warmth. The change of temperature. How you feel about that? Certain degree of warmth we find unpleasant. Not enough warmth we find it unpleasant. So <laughs> somewhere in the middle, for different people, have different ranges. We find an agreeable, but of course, it's not the same for everyone. You know, fire element, just on a crudely physical or sensorial quality, it's very irregular. Hmm? Air element, wind blowing, certain kind of breeze is rather pleasant, hurricanes unpleasant, cold wind unpleasant, cool breeze on a summer day, pleasant, different kinds of air element, internal element, Breathing in and out, every kind of movement, which is the movement of your leg, that movement, the movement experience, that's the air element. We're not talking purely material level, energetically, that sense of something that is able to push something, lift something, that's the air element moving through the body. So just as the earth element is that which is immobile, air element moves it. So when you're walking, you can feel the movement, lifting the legs, moving them up along. That's internally. So that air element internally can be very agreeable. Can be if it's jittery, frantic movements, it's unpleasant. 
earth element internally can feel rigid, tight, frozen, locked, fear, compulsiveness, get the sign. Too hard, soften. Too soft, sloppy, drowsy, falling apart, not enough. But with internal elements, you've got some possibility to adjust them by careful attention. Careful attention, feeling kind of soft and soggy. And you return to the external qualities of the earth, firmness beneath you, bones. Hold it up. And gradually, the more you attend to proper, balanced, skillful earth, the jitter picks up that sign and becomes firm. Right? So internally you've got a choice. Externally you can't make the sea solid. You can't change the temperature of the day. You can't stop the wind blowing. Internally you can change the temperature. How do you do that? Gladdening the mind. Steadying the breathing. Now, beauty of breathing is it actually moderates the internal elements. Obviously it's about air. But if you're breathing and you're aware of the firmness of your body as you're breathing, and you feel that movement from the very firm end of the out-breath, where things become solid, and then you release, and you get to the end of the in-breath where things again stop, and you keep with that steadily, it has a warming effect. And it's called happiness, gladness, rapture. It's a kind of warming, heartwarming. You focus on that, that effect transmits into the body. So with the internal aspect, internal feeling can move from body into heart, where illness makes me feel depressed, yeah. sleeplessness makes me feel irritable, yeah. fiery, depressed or sagging. Or you can turn it the other way, where mental feeling, gladness, contentment, steadiness, patience, generates these, these sankharas, these forms, these activations generate agreeable feeling. And they're not personal. They're not, you know. In other words, they're not just me going to a habit something I've learned from something according to my society or my upbringing or my tastes and preferences. These are transpersonal, these are in your body. Whatever your age, upbringing, so forth, is the nature of the body and the citta is they share feeling. And you can take unpleasant or afflictive feeling, react to it 
and it goes these compulsive sankharas and then your energy just shatters or explodes or tightens and goes nowhere useful. Or you can take unpleasant feeling and cultivate patience around it and steadiness and you become very firm and resolute. The earth element, and when the chitta focuses on that, unpleasant feeling doesn't get in because you're firm. There's no room. Yeah. You're feeling miserable and sort of and then you come into your breathing. This miserable feeling can affect everything. Feeling miserable, feeling fed up, feeling useless. And an unpleasant feeling, the chitta infects the body, so we sort of sit there and kind of, what's the point of all this then? You know, onwards to the deathless, and I'll soon have a cup of tea and go to bed instead. <laughs> you know, get like that. It's kind of, that's all it's about anyway, humbug. So then it affects and your body droops and then you get stuck in that. Or you get unpleasant feeling. You know, things aren't going very well or I don't feel so good and you know, other people don't behave the way I wish they would. Okay, unpleasant feeling, noted. Don't go into the stories, the perceptions, the unpleasant feeling and how it's in your body. Okay, you know, just get it right there. Take an out breath. In breath, out breath. Uh, so you get the firmness, the mobility, not frozen, and a gentle warming quality. And you don't get caught up in what people do and say, and this, that, and the other. Mm. What you think and say, don't get caught up in that either. All of us have our views and opinions. Yeah. But you don't have to get caught in them. Doesn't mean you can't have them. But it's the clench. So we recognize, okay, and you can get the same warming, steadying effect, the elements come into harmony. Right? Water element is that which wraps around everything, dissolves the boundaries. They're cohesive. So we're not kind of cutting something off and not you know, shutting something down. We're actually open to that and then process it. And this is another sign, a water sign, harmonious. Because one way in which we deal with suffering, stress, difficult feeling is we lock against it or shut our eyes or shut our minds or shut our hearts or don't see that don't feel that nothing to do with me and you create these inner blocks which most people carry in their bodies and their minds because we just don't have the capacity to deal with unpleasant feeling some of it's traumatic that's just the fact we haven't didn't have the capacity to do so so you just shut things down mm. Yeah, understandable. How's it going to change? You go to the overall cohesive quality. There's a body, entire body here. Open to that which includes everything. Breathing through the entire body. It begins to soften those 
closed places, those stuck places, those reactive surges, volitional the sankharas begin to soften and abate. And you have the moderated citta sankara called ease, sukha, happiness, piti, piti sukha, happiness and ease, and inner warmth, and inner fluidity, no matter how much the world around you is snarling and, you know, tightening, living within, find your refuge, know the sign. Know the sign of attachment. Attachment's fire. Fire is the adhesive element. And it was likened to wood. Uh, Fire gets attached to wood. That's, that's the metaphor that's used. And the free mind is like the mind fire unbound. It's no longer burning on wood. It's just like sheer radiance. Fire gone out. It's not burning up on an opinion, a view, an attitude, a person, passion, craving, lust, hatred. Those fires have gone out. You see, where it's gone to, you can't see it. No one can track it because it's not landing on anything. This is the chitta released. It's like fire unbound. So the, the, the radiance, the warmth, the ease is there. And it's not stuck on physical condition, sensorial condition, emotional disposition, internally, externally. It's released. So what's it like, you know? When you feel the sense of something burning in you, something burning with righteousness, or you know, these are the deceptive ones. And you feel, wait a minute, I'm right, but I'm right, I'm right, but you're burning. I'm right. <laughs> yeah, I know you're right, but you're burning. But I'm right. It shouldn't be this yeah, you're, I know you're right, but you're burning, aren't you? What's burning? Don't even see it. Don't come into your body. Body? Your body's probably all seized up. It's all up in your head. Fingers, palms of the hands, soles of the feet, walking. Oh. There's this which is appropriate, suitable, suitable to liberation. Fire's gone out. Instead, there's this gentle warmth. Ah, I know how to let go. I know how to be comfortable. And things aren't going my way. That's okay. Wow, major lesson. Very rare. Very rarely achieved in this world. (laughs) how to have things not the way I like them and feel okay about it, major. This is a sign of every time one of this goes, we're not just kind of, oh well, put up with it, but actually not burning, fire's gone out, anything. That's, that's the good cook. You've seen the sign. 
And so these elements are quite helpful because they cross over from the physical material to the energetic. You feel yourself burning up to the psychological. I'm on fire with something. More fired up. Got a great idea. More fired up. Whoa, careful. <laughs> a great idea. I want to do this. This is really great. Just, uh-huh. Let's put some space around that. Stay grounded. See how that could progress by itself. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to get a lot of volition. Pushing, 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 pushing. Volition is pushing. Mm. No. We're not pushing. We're expanding gently and steadying and stabilizing and warming yeah, and releasing. That's the most skillful kind of volition to put one's effort, attention and awareness into. When this is done, then the mind states that arise from that, the attitudes that arise from that, the seeing that arises from that, the dispositions that arise from that will be rooted in the skillful, rooted in the fortunate for one's welfare and that of others. So let's take some time to apply any of this that's useful.